0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. 1 John chapter 1, my heart has already been stirred. I'm sure yours has as well. by The music we have sung and heard sung. What well, a delight to be back here. It's four years ago that we were here the first time, and a lot of, a lot of water under the bridge in these last four years, uh, but good to be back here at Good News Baptist Church, and uh, good to be back with your pastor. We've known each other for decades, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can now say that. You know, I used to always felt like I was a young man, but <laughs> now the young men are on another different generation. But uh, at any rate, uh, uh, appreciate his heart over the years, and uh, his life verse really does depict uh, his life, and that's uh, neat to uh, get that connection. That's a blessing. And good to be back as well with uh, pa- uh, Pastor Davis. Uh, Ned Davis was my choir director in college. My wife and I uh, met uh, and uh, we're married. And our big result is because of that choir. <laughs> and uh, it was really a joy this morning to see him stand up and lead the scene. Because it's been over 30 years since I've seen those particular movements. And uh, his communication in song has blessed me for decades as well. And what a blessing. This is just an exciting week. Uh, Lord willing, my wife will be here this afternoon. She'll be uh, with us as well. And looking forward to what the Lord has for us in these special days. Days of seeking God's reviving presence. And as we've sung today for the Spirit of God to descend, to open our eyes, to illumine truth, to nurture faith, and to show us Jesus in a way that changes us. You know, the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. And he takes of what is is Christ and shows him unto us. And so these are very special days. I appreciated those that were in the prayer meeting last night. And I began to sense that there is a genuine desire for God to move. You know, as you come into uh, a meeting, you get different senses. And I was very much encouraged last night. You know, uh, the Lord is working in a lot of different ways. There's some tremors of some things that are happening uh, that I uh, I keep hearing about. Uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, some different things that are going on. And, uh, you know, that thrills me. And there have been some moves of God in the last several years that ought to thrill us, that we didn't hear of 15 years ago. And so uh, God is stirring the pot, and some things are happening that are encouraging. But we're here this week, and we need the good news of Jesus to explode across our hearts. Now I love the name of your church, Good News. It comes from that word evangel. And as you just heard, I am an evangelist, (laughs) so I'm a good newsist. And uh, so the reality is, there is the good news of Jesus, and there's the good news of the Holy Spirit. You see, there is the gospel to sinners, uh, freedom from the penalty of sin, but there's also the gospel to saints, freedom from the power of sin this side of heaven. And God wants us to experience Jesus in the present tense. In other words, to experience full salvation now. It shouldn't always be, well, 40 years I go, I got saved. Well, praise God for that moment, but God wants us to experience that salvation because that salvation is in a person, and that person moved in the moment we got saved, that his life might be imparted to our personalities, that we might experience this very revived life that we're talking about. So these are very uh, precious times to seek the Lord together. I appreciate those of you that have prayed. Now that we've started the meeting, let me encourage you to keep praying. (laughs) Have a heart cry meeting. If you can, get alone with God. Lift your voice. There's something about it. Get out in the woods if you have to. But lift your voice and cry out. And cry out to the Lord about the burdens on your heart. You know, there may be an area in your life that's just a, a pain in the neck. You know, some sin area, some stronghold, some bondage. Why don't you ask God to give you the truth that he knows will set you free in that area. It may be that when it comes to impact and effectiveness and what we call ministry and service, it just seems like, wow, there's just so little happening. Well, why not ask God to give you the truth as it is in Jesus that will equip you with his impacting life in a life changing way. God knows how to do that. And so let me encourage you, have heart cry meetings throughout the week. And I do trust that you'll come. Uh, You know, in a meeting like this, we have the opportunity for what some call the cumulative effect of preaching. Doesn't that sound fancy? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But you got a lot of services in a shorter period of time. What that means is we can build truth upon truth, and I love doing that, a progression of truth, building truth upon truth, and hopefully uh, you can remember the previous truth and connect the dots because it was only the night before. And so there's an advantage to that. There really is. And uh, I recognize we live in a day where there's bizarre schedules and all those kinds of things. Uh, Technically, I'm a second shifter myself. Most of what I do is in the evening. (laughs) But uh, uh, I realize there's all sorts of schedules. But let me just encourage you with this. Would you come every service that God wants you to come? And you know, if you'll ask him, he'll tell you what to do. Now, I'm not telling you what to do, but if you ask God, he, he knows. You know, sometimes, not every time, but for a third or a second shifter, sometimes God leads people to take off work. I'm not telling you to do that, but if God did, you wouldn't regret it. And I've been in meetings where people have done that. And the point is, let's just obey the Holy Spirit, and it will be right, we can be in good conscience. And let's look to the Lord to breathe on us in these special, very special days together. And by the way, let me say a word about tonight. Lord willing, tonight, I want to deal with a subject that I've just... Uh, uh begun to preach on in the last uh, several months it's just uh it's a thrilling truth to me it deals with mindset in other words want to deal tonight not with what you say you believe but what you really believe and how can you know that difference you say how can you know well you got to come tonight (laughs) you know i learned a long time ago that the most important service is the next service so, uh, of course, we already got one other one with Sunday School this morning, but at any rate, uh, looking forward to that special truth tonight. But this morning, let's look at 1 John chapter 1. You know, there is obviously the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. When you receive his eternal life, that is a marvelous truth. There's the truth of the life of Jesus filling us. We'll spend much on, time on that, I'm sure, in these days together. But I want to deal this morning with the truth, the good news of a clean heart. You know, we live in a culture that is decadent. Of course, that's true in every culture. But the truth of the matter is American Christianity, I think, has gotten soft. And there is a lot of desensitized consciences, and that's why we need the Spirit of God to descend, to sensitize our consciences. But you know, the truth is, many times God's people walk around feeling shameful and feeling guilty when God wants them to know what it is to have a clean heart and know it. Now, some of what we're going to look at this morning is very familiar, some of it for me rocked my boat in 2001. So 20 years ago, uh, this time, uh, God opened my eyes to a part of this truth that I had not known before, though I was a preacher's kid and had already been through college and all those things. And so let's look at it this morning. First John chapter one. Now, this is a book that's written to believers. Throughout the book, they're called Beloved, my little children. They're called Brethren. And here in chapter one, in the a couple of verses we're going to look at. It's interesting in these 10 verses that the personal pronouns we, us, and our are used 30 times. And that's a lot of times in 10 verses. I simply say that because John the writer is including himself in what he's talking about. And I say all that because there's some debate on this today. That's kind of a, uh, an enigma to be uh, hi- historically, but this is written to believers. And so to, uh, this morning, let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, and then verse 9. The scripture says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood, oh yes, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. See, the writer John included here, from all sin, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, cleanse, cleanse us, wash us, purge us from all unrighteousness. Now obviously both of these verses have the word cleansing in them. And friends, we live in a world where, yes, there are times when tragic we stumble and fall. Now, there is provision uh, uh, to live victoriously. We'll deal with that. But the fact is, there are times when we don't, and we blow it. And then the devil tries to knock us down and keep us down with a guilty conscience. And God wants us to do what this text is talking about so that we know the power of the blood right now in the present moment that we're living in. And so I want to speak this morning on a clean heart, the good news of a clean heart. Will you join me in prayer? Let's ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for already uh, stirring us in this service. We're taking words as we've sung them and lifting them right into our hearts. Now, Spirit of God, take the words that are before us from this text of Scripture and open the eyes of our understanding, O Lord. Lord, take these familiar words and renew our minds. Lord, where needed, take us deeper. Give us greater understanding. Give us that nuance, that angle that will just connect some dots and explode truth. And Lord, I pray that you would use the truth in a way to set people free. And I do plead this very blood. Lord, protect us from the attack of the evil one. I claim the victory, Lord Jesus, that you won when you said it is finished. Manifest that now. Breathe on us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1920s, there was a young man in Scotland by the name of John George Govan. He was a believer in Jesus. He had already trusted Christ. He went to church. He he was, uh, you know, uh, we would, by all uh, normal standards, consider him a fine Christian young man. But he knew in his own heart that he had ambitions in life that he knew were not God's ambitions for his life. In other words, this was not wicked. It weren't, uh, he didn't want to do evil things. It's just that he had a goal and an ambition that he knew was not God's will for his life. But that's just where he was. And in the providence of God, there began to be some preaching emphasis in Scotland in those days on the subject of a clean heart and a filled life. And it became a theme that was hitting different pulpits and conferences that were taking place. And he began to ponder that. He hadn't heard the preaching yet, but a a clean heart. And he got to thinking, you know, that's what I need God to do for me. And he began to realize, you know, I can't clean my own heart up. You ever tried? It doesn't work. And uh, he said, I can't clean my own heart up. I need Jesus to do a cleansing work for me. Well, in the providence of God, his brother was holding some revival meetings close by. And so he decided he would go. And the first night he went, the subject of the sermon was on a clean heart. Now he's hearing the details. And God's working in that meeting. And God's convicting. And yes, God was convicting John George Govan. And uh, uh, at the end of the service, there was an invitation given. And many responded that night. And uh, uh, came, uh, coming to claim and to get that clean heart from God. That cleansed conscience. But he resisted. He said No. Because he knew that in order for that to happen, he would have to come clean with God. He would have to give up that which he was hanging on to, that the Spirit of God was saying that has to go. And so he walked out that night resisting the Holy Spirit. He said the next day he was miserable (laughs) because he knew he was resisting the Spirit of God. You know, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, you know it. And he knew it, and he was resisting. Well, you know, he... uh, he uh, he went to the service the next night, and this time he sat as far away as he could, which was not his normal practice. And uh, so uh, uh, they had the song service. They had a testimony time, and person after person stood up with the glow of God. You know that shine, that that's that supernatural touch, that glow of God, and giving test testimony the power of a cleansed conscience and a clean heart, and being refreshed in the Lord hadn't been for some time. And testimony after testimony, and the Spirit of God spoke as only He can to John, George, Goblin. Heart, you know, that blessing could have been yours (laughs) had you but yielded. Well, the message was preached. Again, the presence of God was felt in the service. The invitation was given. Again, many were responding. Uh, John Govan was under deep conviction, but again he was resisting. Now the service was coming to a close. And they're getting ready for the final prayer. And uh, Govan's brother, the guy leading the services, sees his brother in the corner of that auditorium and has no idea the tremendous turmoil and battle of soul that he's in. And he calls on him to close the service in prayer. This is called providence. (laughs) Well, John George Govan said he knew he would not fake it. So he had to make a decision. He either had to come clean with God and surrender these issues or he had to just say no and walk out and not pray (laughs) because he just decided I'm not going to fake it. So he stepped out into the aisle and he paused to think it over. And the congregation waited. And then he got down on one knee. And with the whole congregation there to listen in, this young man came clean with God. I mean, he surrendered up those issues that were in the way. He said the last amen. He walked immediately out in the cold Scottish air, and he said to a friend, I have a clean heart. I have trusted the Lord Jesus for it and he has done it even though I do not feel it now friends it's by faith not feeling when I was here last time I preached a message on faith we dealt with this I'm sure everyone remembers it with all the details But he took by faith that clean heart. Now, feelings eventually catch up, but the point is he took it by faith. That's the key. Now, friends, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. These are familiar words. You know, I'm a uh, preacher's kid. I memorize these verses and verses like them, you know, as a young kid and all that. But it's these familiar verses that over the years God keeps exploding across my heart. These are powerful verses. They talk about this blood of Jesus cleansing us. And so it is a very, very powerful truth. Now, obviously, the blood is what's necessary to get saved. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 tells us, uh, Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so obviously there is the power of the blood in the matter of that moment of salvation when you receive Jesus Christ and your sins are covered and he moves in and you have his eternal life. That would be what we perhaps would call a legal cleansing. It has to do with your standing before God. You're saved. You're now a child of God. This passage is dealing with what we might call a fellowship cleansing. It is dealing not with your standing before God, but with your walking with God. It's dealing with your conscience, clearing the conscience And it is a powerful truth. It is illustrated for us in John chapter 13 when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And you remember that Peter protested. And uh, you didn't want Jesus, you know, washing his feet. And Jesus said to to Peter, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Well, that wasn't going to go over. And so uh, Peter said, well, that's the case. Wash my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he that is washed, past tense, Needeth not saved to wash, present tense, his feet. In other words, when you've taken the full body bath, okay, you've had the bath, but you've walked across town, you got your feet dirty, you need your feet washed. All right, so there's our picture. Getting saved is like the full body bath. But we do walk across the town of this old world, don't we? And times we get our feet dirty. And they need to be washed. That's what we're talking about. It's stated for us theologically in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I love these verses. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So let's get technical for a moment. That passage is telling us that the moment you get saved, your past sins are forgiven and your future sins will not be imputed, charged to your account. That's fascinating. Because that's what it says. Now, friends, even though your future sins will not get charged to your account, that's a marvelous truth. Thus your sins are covered, past, present, future. Those future sins do break fellowship with God. Not him toward us, but us toward him as we hang our head and that unfettered fellowship is now greatly hindered. And that's what this passage is dealing with. Let God set you free through the cleansing power of the blood by taking this clean heart. Now, what's involved in this provision for a clean heart and our taking it, our availing ourselves of this? Because we live in a broken world. Understand your pastor's been dealing with brokenness the last number of weeks. That's a marvelous truth. It's very needed. Uh, because, you know, there's, there's things, you know, there's, there's stuff. You know, there's just stuff. There's, there's sensuality. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, temptation. Uh, there's things that happen that cause people to uh, deal with bitterness and anger and resentment. Sometimes it lasts for years. There's strife. There's envying, there's arrogance, there's condescension. And you get mad at this guy because he's arrogant, and now you're arrogant toward him, and, you know, it's just one sin begetting another. And there's stuff, but there's provision. So how does it work? Well, verse 7 is going to tell us what to do. Then verse 9 will tell us how to do the what. Let's begin with what to do. Verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light now notice the if means this is conditional this is not automatic it's not inevitable no it's a responsibility if you're a child of god but if we walk in the light then it says as he is in the light now it's not telling us how to do this yet it's just telling us what to do walk in the light but notice the standard here as he is in the light you know whatever that means that's a high standard You know, God dwells in the absolute brilliant light of his holiness, of who he is, his uniqueness. There are the seraphim, the burning ones, those created angelic beings of God that have the six wings. We read about them in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. Uh, Two wings cover their face, two wings cover their feet, and two wings uh, they use to fly. And these are the beings that surround the throne of God this moment and every moment, and they ring out the anthem, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Boy, can you imagine? We're going to hear that someday. (laughs) You see, God dwells in the absolute light of his own uniqueness, separate from all else. And we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, we'll come to that. But before we do, notice there's a promise connected to this condition. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, we have, not will have, we have at that moment fellowship one with another. Now, we need to ask the question, who's the one and who's the another? (laughs) Well, let's back up to verse 5 and let the context show us. The end of verse 5 says God is a light. So there's that emphasis again. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with who? You can talk to me. With God. Okay, if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Who's the he? God. Then we have fellowship one with another. Okay, so the one with another is us and God. In other words, the emphasis is vertical. Now, when you get in chapter 2, there's horizontal ramifications big time. But the emphasis of the immediate context is that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then what happens is something takes place that restores us. Back to a fellowship, vertically we might say, with that holy God. Now when that happens, yes, you'll be in fellowship with everyone on the horizontal level who's also in fellowship with God on the vertical level. But the point is, when you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you are restored, you are restored. Not will be, you are at that moment restored. Back to fellowship, communion with that holy God, this side of heaven. Friends, it's stunning. That while we still live in a sin-cursed body, that somehow through the cleansing of this blood of Jesus, not only are we on our way to heaven, but we can be be so cleansed, so made clean before God that we can fellowship with God now. It's amazing. Oh, there's power in the blood of Jesus. Now, that's what to do. The question now is how do you do that? Well, let's go to verse 9. Familiar words, but oh, let's look at them. If we confess our sins, that's plural, notice that. If we confess our sins, but the emphasis is on confession, so there's a condition, Then it's followed by a promise. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that taps into what you see at the end of verse 7. After it says we have fellowship one with another, it says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So the two verses here are tied together. So walking in the light, uh, there's this restoration to fellowship, there's cleansing. How do we do it? Verse 9 tells us if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So there's your connection from all unrighteousness. So we're asking the question, how do we walk in the light? Let me word it this way. What are the steps on this pathway of walking in the light? According to verse 9, there are two steps. And it's the second step that rocked my world uh, in 2001. There's two steps, two steps of faith, we might say, but there are two steps on this pathway of walking in the light. The first step is confession based on the condition The second step is faith, to take what God says is so to be so. In other words, the promise part of it we will come to that. Let's start with the first phrase here, if we confess our sins. You probably know that the word translated confess means to say the same thing as. All right, so let me ask you a question. To say the same thing as who? God. Okay, so there it is. That's how you walk in the light as he is in the light see light exposes you know it's like men who try to clean the house without turning the lights on <laughs> the ladies know to turn the lights on <laughs> so you can see the dirt so you can get see light exposes and so here it is we are to say the same thing as god says see the light of god through his truth through his word and his spirit revealing what needs to be seen. Okay, so when you walk in the light as he is in the light, what you're doing here is you're saying the same thing that God says about what's going on in our lives. Now, that that means a lot, and all that it means, obviously, you have to call sin, sin. You know, we have a lot of other words for it. (laughs) Ah, I made a mistake. Well, you did, but it was a sin mistake. Ah, uh, You know, well, it's, it's, a, it's a disease. You know, we're calling everything a disease these days, so uh, let's call it a disease. Um, we might call it a syndrome, but we don't want to call it sin. You see, if we're going to say the same thing that God says, you've got to call it sin accurately. Now, we got a problem because Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So how in the world are we going to be able to, you know, say what God says if we have this deceitful heart? Well, in that passage in Jeremiah 17, 9, the next verse tells us the Lord says who can know it. The next verse says the Lord who tries the hearts. In other words, you and I can go to God. And, you know, not a bad time at the beginning of a revival meeting to do this and say, Lord, I get deceived, I get desensitized, I rationalize, I get used to things. Lord, would you show me? Would you give me a glimpse? Would you show me what you see in my heart so that I can say what you say? In other words, so that you can confess. Now, if you'll ask God to do this, he will, and I'll warn you, you won't like it. Possibly. (laughs) When you actually see what God sees. But see, that's a part of it. Call it sin accurately. Call it sin thoroughly. Notice it says if we confess our sins. That's very interesting that it went to plural here. In other words, you, you, you commit an act of sin, specifically, you know, one sin at a time. The sins, okay, so get right with God specifically. A lot of times, you know, people just pray a general prayer. Lord, forgive me all my sin. I don't think that's what this is talking about. You gave the ground away a piece at a time. Take it back a parcel at a time. In other words, get honest. Lord, I said such and such to so and so. I was totally out of line. See, that's getting specific. That's what we're talking about here. I remember a move of God that took place 21 years ago. I'll never forget it. When God's presence so filled a room, just a little room at a conference center in a place called Avoca, Ireland. The whole church had taken off work to come to this, this week of church camp. And uh, we had a service in the morning, service at night. And, and uh, on a Monday night, actually a Tuesday night, we had an after meeting. You say, what's well, an after meeting? It's a meeting after the meeting. <laughs> and God so moved in that after meeting, it went longer than the meetings. And you know, night after night this happened, but I remember that first night when the presence of God, how do you explain the invisible presence of God? But that awareness that God is here, and God moved, and I'm telling you, confession was intense and so forth. It was a life-changing moment for that church, for many individuals, obviously, and for me personally. But I remember talking to one of the young men a couple of years later, and he told me an interesting story. He said, there's no doubt about it, God turned the direction of my life, the general direction of my life around uh, during that revival out of Oka. But he said, you know, uh, I... It was about two years later, he said, I got the feeling just so dull spiritually. And he said, I asked my pastor, what's going on? Why am I dull spiritually? He said, well, you know, he said, it's interesting. He said, you know, during the revival in 2000, God moved. God turned you and many others around. But he said, I wonder if you ever have truly understood how wicked your teenage rebellion really was. He said, why don't you just get along with God and ask him to show you and just say, God, would you show me? what I need to see from those years so that I can deal with it thoroughly. This young man said to me, oh, what a day. Oh, what a day. He said, God showed me. And I was able to just get honest about it. And he said, oh, I was cleansed. I was sensitized again. You see, one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons for dullness spiritually is because we don't really get right with God in this specific way. We're not thorough about it. So call it sin accurately, call it sin thoroughly, and call it sin without making excuses. You know, we don't like to think we're that bad, so we make excuses as to why we did what we did You know what that is it's cover-up amazing in the name of confession we say well Lord I shouldn't have said that to brother so-and-so but Lord (laughs) you know he deserved it (laughs) and he started it and he this and he that okay so what we're doing with all those he this and he that is we're trying to cover our tracks it's walking in darkness ironically in the very attempt to walk in the light It's called deception. (laughs) Man. See, we don't like to think we're that bad. You know, it's not me. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I did that and I said that, but, you know, it it was the situation. (laughs) I mean, you got to understand. I mean, it was the other person. I mean, you know, they just drew it out of me. No, they exposed what you're capable of, uh, of when you reject your provision in Jesus. Now, friends, we're all capable of some pretty rotten stuff. Outside of our provision. Now we're going to see tonight. <laughs> oh man! And the next couple of nights, there's amazing provision. But if you ignore it, that's why we need messages like this. When you ignore the provision, but the provision's phenomenal. We're going to get there. But the fact is, when we ignore that provision, we're pretty capable of. And we're capable of, of rotten stuff. You know, I don't know that I've ever had thoughts of murder and assassination until the last couple of months. And it's funny, and yet it's not funny because I had to deal with it. (laughs) Now, friends, let me tell you a story. I don't like this story, but it might help somebody. A number of years ago, I got in a fight with a preacher. Now, it wasn't a fist fight, (laughs) but it was a fight. You know, it was a preacher fight. You know, it was words, you know. Oh, man, it was carnal. Oh, wow. It was a mess. And uh, this carnal exchange, you might say. Well, I remember as I walked out of that room, the Holy Spirit was like a hound dog all over my case. And you know what my first thought was? Well, Lord, he started it. There you go. Try to cover up. There it is. Try to get the focus off of me. Now, he probably thought I started it. You know how that stuff goes. Well, of course, the Lord wouldn't let me get away with that. But in what I do, you know, we're traveling often. So within hours, I was in another state, and and, uh, God was convicting me, and... And I said, all right, Lord, I'll write him a letter. Now, I'm ashamed of this letter. But uh, it went something like this. Dear brother so-and-so, because you said such-and-such. Stab. I said such-and-such. I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. Because you did such-and-such. I did such-and-such. Now, the whole letter was blaming him. Now, I didn't see it when I wrote it. It's amazing how blind we can be. But that was the letter, it was a long letter, spelling out all the things he did, therefore I did, and I'm sorry that I did because you did. How foolish, but that's where I was. So I sent the letter off and got no relief. (laughs) And uh, I I remember thinking, Lord, you know, how come there's no relief here, you know? Uh, And then, you know, as days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months, God kept bringing this up. Whenever I'd go to pray, God would bring it up. You got to get right with that guy. And I'm saying, Lord, I did not get right with that guy. Lord, I wrote him a letter. Lord, it was a long letter. Well, it had to be the way I wrote it. And I remember one day in Minnesota, I'm trying to get ready to preach in an evening. It's amazing. God gives mercy for the services, even when preachers are having to deal with stuff. But I remember saying, Lord, what is wrong? And apparently, finally, the Lord knew I was ready to hear by his grace. And when I asked what is wrong, the spirit of God said to me as if he was standing there. You're arrogant. Hear you in the name of humbling yourself and making an apology. All you did was blame him. And, friends, when I saw a glimpse of what God sees, I didn't like it at all. And I remember coming clean with God about that and saying, God, now what do you want me to do? Do you know the next letter was a whole lot shorter? <laughs> and by the way, when I sent that one off, yes, the relief came, and then God brought, out reconcil- brought about reconciliation with that brother in the Lord. But, friends, I'm telling you, we're masters at this excuse. I preached on this one time, and the very night, right at the end of the service, the pastor said, anybody have a word they want to say? And the lady got up and said, you know, I've been bitter because... And then she named all the stuff (laughs) that other people did. I thought, oh, man, she missed it. Now, I'm not saying that other people don't do stuff, and sometimes they do start. I understand that, but the point is, they just simply exposed what we're capable of, and walking in the light is not dealing with them. It's dealing with us. And so call it sin accurately, thoroughly, and without excuse. Secondly, when it comes to this matter of saying the same thing, we're still on the first step here. When it comes to this matter of saying the same thing that God says, not only call it sin, give it up. In other words, inherent in confession is this willingness to say, God, I'm letting go of this thing. I don't want this anymore. Uh, we see it in verses uh, like Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. What a statement. But whoso confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. So inherent in confession is the the, the letting go, the the giving up. See, surrenders, when you raise that white flag, you're you're giving up by giving in to the conqueror, okay? And so when we give in to the Spirit of God and we recognize, wait a second, you're right, I'm wrong, okay, there has to be that giving up, that that letting go of, of the issue, saying, God, I don't want this. In other words, a lot of times we end up not really confessing our sin, we think we are, but we're just confessing our guilt because we still want the sin, we're still hanging on. A man came to a preacher, his name was Robertson McQuilkin, the preacher, and the man said to him, uh, you know, I need help, sir. He said, you know, I have mind problems, uh, impure thinking and so forth, and he said, you know, I confess it, he said, then I go to work the next day, and some lady walks by, dressed him modestly, whatever, and he said, oh, man, by the end of the day, he said, I'm all defeated again. So Brother McQuilkin said to him, okay, you said the night before you confessed it. He said, yes. He said, well, the next day when the lady walked by, did you look to God for deliverance, for help? And the man hung his head and said, well, no, I, uh, I didn't want help then. Do we get it? See, what that means is the night before, he wasn't really confessing his sin. He's confessing his guilt. He didn't like the way he felt, but he still wanted the sin, made obvious by the fact that the next time it came by, man, he gladly took it. Okay, that's where we miss it sometimes. We think we're confessing, but we're not. We're just confessing our guilt. But in genuine confession, there is is a a surrendering up of the issue. Let me put it this way. It's like playing tug-of-war with God. This was brought to my attention by a dear man in a meeting in Springfield, Illinois. He said, you know, I had this cursing habit. He said, you know, it was really bad here. I was a believer, and my mouth was foul when I'd get mad and all that. And he said, I kept asking God to deliver me. Nothing ever happened until a brother in Christ came to me and said, you know what, you're asking God to deliver you, but God's not going to deliver you when you're hanging on to that. Stop playing tug-of-war with God. And the lights went on. And this man told me, I went to God and said, God, no more tug-of-war. I am letting go of my end of the rope. But now, God, you got to deliver me because you know I can't do this. And he smiled at me and said, you know what? God delivered me. I told that story in Atlanta, Georgia uh, a couple of years back. And uh, two years later, I came back, and a guy came to me in his 20s. He said, remember that story about the tug of war? I said, yeah. He said, you know, for me, the issue wasn't cursing. He said, for me, it was chewing tobacco. This is Atlanta, Georgia. And he said, uh, "He said, you know, I went to God you know, many times, and I, I would say, God deliver me. Nothing ever happened. He said, but that story made sense. He said, I realized I was playing tug of war with God. And he said, I went to God two years ago during that meeting. and said, God, no more tug of war. I'm letting go of this. But, God, you know I can't do this on my own. I've tried. I need you. And this man smiled at me, mid-20s, and said, I haven't chewed for two years. Now, friends, that's what God does. When you walk in the light, when there's that genuine confession, call it sin, give it up, and not only that, make it right. If you're going to say the same thing that God says, God says make it right. In other words, to the level of extent of offense. Generally speaking, the tenor of Scripture is personal sin, Get right with God. I mean, uh, private sin, get right with God. But personal sin, by that I mean sinning against another person, you got to get right with that person in order to get right with God. That, based on the same principle, if it's public, then you get right with God publicly. You know, there's a verse in James 5 that kind of gets glossed over. It says, Confess your faults one to another. You know, I've never heard anybody say that's their life verse. because we don't like to do it. There are some husbands that never apologize to their wife or kids. No wonder there's tension because they're not perfect (laughs) and everybody in the home knows it. See, make it right. Make it right. I remember my dear parents getting honest, you know, they blew it, got ticked or something. That doesn't cause you to lose respect for them. It causes you to to build respect because they're honest. They're transparent. They're not fakes. Make it right. Wow. When God launched me on a revival journey, wow, I'll never forget it. In those first number of months, I had a lot of people to contact. (laughs) I really did. Where I could, I went to see them. And sometimes maybe they were, you know, they had their side of a tune. They never really apologized for that, but that wasn't the point. I wasn't going for them. I just knew and I had to get honest with God, and therefore I had to get honest with them. And occasionally it was a phone call or a letter, but that was a wonderful time. And then it was done. I mean, it was like a period of months, and God brought stuff to mind I hadn't thought of for years. <laughs> that I needed to make right with somebody. And then I was able to make it right, and it was done until a new issue. But uh, that past was taken done, uh, taken care of. It was done. Now, friends, the truth is, if you sin against another person, what I mean by that is they would know it or they would have a right to know it. It's that kind of stuff, that level of stuff. It's not private sin. It's personal sin When you sin against another person, and generally speaking, they're going to know that, or in some cases, they have a right to know it. Go make it right remember dear lady walking out the door she said all right I got three people to talk to tomorrow you got to pray for me well hallelujah Amen. that's what we're talking about I remember I was in one meeting we're during the invitation itself I said look if there's somebody right here in the congregation you need to get right with go go do it sure enough somebody goes taps this lady on the shoulder and they walk out go make it right they come back in Somebody else goes to the same lady, taps her on the shoulder, and they go out, <laughs> come back in. <laughs> Third person comes, taps that lady on the shoulder, and they went out. <laughs> I've been in other meetings where it's been amazing. I was in one church where two ladies had not spoken to each other for six years. You know, when that happens, everybody knows. Now it's a public sin. And I'm going to tell you, God moved. And one of those ladies went to the other. Somebody's got to initiate. And got right with that lady and then asked the pastor, can I get right with the church? I'm telling you, what a night. I think of a guy in Wisconsin who had ruined the testimony of the church in the town. And God nailed him that night. He said to the pastor, I've got to get right with the church. And he did. I mean, he was broken. Friends, whatever it is, when God puts his finger on it deal with it privately if that's appropriate but when you're sending it to another person go to them get honest and without blaming them just get right I think of a, a young girl that came forward in a meeting she just unloaded the truck I could tell she was just you know she was sobbing her heart out about something well the next day she went to a public school and there was a girl there in the school that she was at odds with an unsaved girl and without Blaming the other girl. She got right with that other girl. Apologized about her side of the situation. And then invited her to church. Well, the unsaved girl came with her that night. They'd been at odds. And that girl, the unsaved girl, they came and sat on the front row. And that girl got saved that night. And I said to the church girl afterwards, I said, you know what? You you just experienced the power of a clean heart. And a filled life. And God used you. I remember a dear lady came to me on on a Friday night. And she said, Brother John, I've gotten right with three people. I have one more to go, and I'm going to have a clean heart. pastor told me later, he said, I'm going to tell you. He said, that's the lady that's always telling everyone else in the congregation what's wrong with them. He said, for her to do this is a a massive work of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, it was real. Three years later when I was back, that, that lady was aglow with Jesus. Now, friends, call it sin, give it up make it right, but then there's the second step, and this is what was life-changing to me 20 years ago. The 1st doesn't end with if we confess our sins. There's a promise. When you do, he is faithful. That means every time and just because, as we saw from Romans, the blood does cover to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the word forgive is such a powerful term, uh, but in all that it means, it means to release and to send away. You know, God releases us. You know, it's like if somebody borrowed money from you and now they owe you that. They're in debt to you and you decide to forgive them of that debt. What are you doing? You are releasing them from what they owe. And friends, the truth of the matter is God releases us. Now, if you release somebody of their debt, that means you accept the loss. And the reason that God can release us is he took the loss at the cross. He really did. And friends, when we get honest and we come clean and we side with God. Now, remember, he's not mad at us. We're going to, you know, the, the, the broken fellowship is us toward him. But the fact is, it is us toward him. But when you come clean, then he releases you and you know it. And that's when you need to take what God's giving You see, it says he's faithful and just to forgive, to release, and to cleanse, cleanse. That's what you saw in verse 7, cleanse, purge, wash. In other words, there is a cleaning up job done here. God's blood comes in, the blood of Jesus, and washes us. I mean, it purges us. It removes the dirt. And I realize there are some sins that have ramifications in the sense of consequences. I understand that. My dad used to say in the Chicago days, all right, get in a fight out in the street in the alley and somebody cuts off your, you know, your arm, <laughs> you know, with a sword or whatever. Uh, you know, you can get forgiven, but you're not going to get your arm back. But when it comes to your heart, that can be completely cleansed. Because when you walk in the light and you call it sin, Accurately, thoroughly, without excuse. Then the blood of Jesus comes rushing in, and when that blood comes in, it cleans, it removes the dirt. It cleans you all up. You're clean. I have a blog, and I have q and A Q&A column, and people write in. And just a couple of days ago, a dear lady wrote in, and she said, "You know, I know I married against the will of God. It's been years, and she says I felt guilty all these years. Friends, that's a tragedy." Perhaps she did marry out of the will of God, but she just needs to come clean with God, and God cleans you up. You gotta take it, and you're free. Yeah. Now, friends, that changed me. Because I had the confession thing down. <laughs> sort of. I was <laughs> still making excuses. <laughs> but I knew what it was to confess. Confess, 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 confess. Man, I had, boy, that was my song, confess. I had a very sensitive conscience, oversensitive conscience. But taking the clean heart, whoa, that was life-changing. To actually know you're clean, not because you feel it, but because the Bible says so. It's just like getting saved. You trust Jesus to save you, and he does. Why? Because the Bible says so. (laughs) And friends, when you get honest, the blood cleanses you because the Bible says. And so let's take the clean heart.